With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an absolute podcast. Syracuse sports make me drink. I'm John Casillo, and with me, as always, is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy, uh, I don't know. What do, what do we got this week? Happy, happy we're recording during a game once again day. Again, yeah. This is a, a, a lovely thing we get to do all the time because all of our games are Wednesdays, at least for the next two weeks. Yeah, and uh, that should be it, hopefully, because I don't want us playing on Wednesday uh, in the ACC tournament. I definitely don't want us playing on Wednesday in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I think we we should be. I mean, this, this is a very natural progression into NCAA tournament talk. Um, I feel like we're okay for now. I mean, at yeah. this juncture, obviously things can change. Definitely the ACC. I, I think it's pretty hard to envision us falling that far back, right? Or do, when does the ACC tournament start? Like, what day? I forget. Uh, it starts Tuesday now with like the play, or like not the playing game, but like the it's like the 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 stupid like twelve, thirteen, fourteen, whatever. Like it's just like I think right. I think the eleven through fifteen seeds play that day. So I guess there's a there's a way we could play into Wednesday if we like really struggle. Yeah, if like something um, bad happens down the stretch. And so luckily, let's not do that. Yeah, I mean, luckily we started really strong here. I mean, that's that's kind of the, the the blessing and the curse here is that we started really strong, but we could easily uh, you know fall back significantly, um, just by way of you know having the hardest part of our schedule now coming up. Right. I mean, I guess I'm like I'm okay having the banked wins. I I, I think it's better to have them in your pocket than not, even if that comes from an easier early schedule. But uh, I mean, right now we're only two games out of first place, and I mean I don't expect us to make a run at that. But eight and three sitting. Uh, ahead of Louisville for the fourth spot by a half a game, uh, thanks to their <laughs> hilarious, just just really awful collapse against Duke. And to a point I like feel bad about it, because I know if that was like, if that was us, I don't even know. I, we might not even be able to record today. <laughs> I, I, I mean, yeah, I would have been apoplectic. And like I, I follow like a ton of Louisville fans, and I saw so many people, like fans, media, just like completely like mentally like checked out and having no idea what to do. Um, yeah, I think that's worse, like than getting absolutely bludgeoned by Duke. Yeah. Like, it, it, like it all—it's all the same in the in the, uh, the record book. But when Duke just like comes out and smokes you, like they're Duke, they're really really good this year. They're gonna be the favorite to win the tournament. You, like I can I can like deal with that. And if they do it at the dome, like you know I'll get over it pretty quick. <laughs> to, to to fall after being up what twenty three, with like large swaths of the game, you were like a I mean look at the ESPN chart like a ninety five ninety nine percent chance to win for like a good third of the game, basically, um, that's hard to come back from. Yeah, that is, that's absolutely miserable. And then I think too, like, I mean, it's great for us. If we beat Louisville, I guess it, like it matters less, but if we don't, then like, you know, that actually still like helps out the Duke game quite a bit because I, I, I said it last night on Twitter, like, you know, I was rooting for Duke and it felt weird, but, but it also made a lot of sense because now like, I mean, yeah, if Duke lost, we could have potentially been in a better position to, you know, win the regular season conference title. That said, I don't think we're winning the regular season conference title, so I'd much rather a team in in competition with us for maybe a double bye um, takes the L there, as Louisville did. Yeah, like, obviously there are, like, we know about the net rating, and we know about all the other factors that go into NCAA tournament uh, seeding. But there's still, you know, it still comes down to a committee choosing things, and in, it, and it's not all based on any specific number. I wonder if we should be rooting for Duke to just, like, win out at this point, because we do have the, like, you know, obviously it comes with the Trey Jones injury and everything else, but we are the only team in the ACC play to beat Duke, and one of only two teams to beat Duke all year. And I do think that that, like, there's a good chance that if there's, like, a tiebreaker scenario between, like, whether it's you know, getting into the tournament or not, if things go poorly down the stretch or getting, uh, you know, a, a more favorable seed or something, like, it could carry some more extra weight, even more than it probably should based on, like, how numbers work out. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I, again, like, there's going to be caveats around, you know, Duke's injuries in that game um, and all that. But nonetheless, like, Duke is still an incredibly talented team. One game's 
you know, without Trey Jones, without Reddish. Like, this isn't a team that, that was suddenly complete, you know, completely just filled with walk-ons uh, surrounding Zion Williamson. Like, the Blue Devils very capable of winning games uh, without at least one of those guys. And the fact that SU was able to catch him napping a little bit, um, especially in Durham, I think is is still a really good thing. But like I've said before, and I know you agree with to an extent, the resume can't just be that. Um, and, yeah. and, and that's kind of where this... Uh, this four-game stretch that we've been alluding to all season comes up. We're at NC State tonight. We're not really going to talk about the game because it's going to be in the past by the time you hear this. Um, Louisville next Wednesday, so we get a full week to uh, to prep for the cards at home. We get Duke that Saturday in a rematch that I am not very hopeful for. Um, and then we are at North Carolina on the following Tuesday, so we're really kind of short turnaround there, just two days uh, to go down to Chapel Hill. Dan, what would you be all right with? I think... I think I'd be fine with one and three. I think I'd be elated with two and two. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think if you get one more of the, if you get one from that stretch, I think you're in in pretty good shape. Um, Especially the road then, games. Yeah, and which is you know we've been playing really well. We're we're tight with NC State now. Obviously not to not to do the whole thing, but um, <laughs> we've played well on the road, which I think does like Bayham said the other day. It's obviously he's he claimed to not. I think they probably knows more about the net rating that he leads on. I just don't think he wants to really talk about it. Right. Is the more, uh, if I had to guess. But he's not wrong. We're like, you know, it's these non-mathematical things that still, you know, do do pop off uh, of the page when you're looking at, like, Syracuse's resume um, just line by line. It's a, a win over Duke at Duke. Uh, a win, you know, a bunch of wins on the road against, like, pretty good teams, even if they're not great teams. Um, and we saw this, we saw, I mean, we brought it up a couple weeks ago, but we've seen Syracuse teams get into the tournament without a very strong road resume. So um, it's not the be-all, end-all, but if they can get in with, what, like, the two road wins we had a couple of years ago, I think with the, I mean, I don't know exactly off the top of my head how many we have this year, but it's, like, what, it's five, five or six? Yeah, because we yeah. have Pitt, BC, and Notre Dame, Duke. Notre Dame, Duke. Ohio State being the other important one. Right. So, yeah, if you have at least, like, probably two NCAA... I mean, I don't know if Ohio State might fall all the way out, but I figure they'll probably make the tournament. Like, two NCAA tournament teams, including Duke on the road, like, you know, you're in you're in pretty solid shape, and I don't think there are that many teams of our, like, ilk that have they'll have much better road resumes than that. Because it's not like the middle of the ACC is worse than the middle of all these other conferences. It's I think it's pretty strong this year overall. Um... So yeah, I I feel pretty good about it. Um, just and if they can win one of these three like prominent games in this crazy stretch, and then you know obviously pick up the Wake and Clemson games, which uh, we've already beat Clemson. Yeah. We haven't played Wake this year yet, but they're the worst team in the conference. Um, that's two more road wins. Uh, and actually, I think those two being on the road actually kind of benefit us down the stretch here. And then UVA like would be awesome, and we've beaten them at home before, and we'll, it'll have. Uh, Probably a really, really nice home crowd for that, as well as obviously the Duke game. But, like, I, I, don't, I think it kind of takes the pressure off of that and the Duke game and, and everything else. So, I think we've done a pretty good work so far. Um, we only have the one, like, huge uh, tournament, like, you know, highlight win, but there are opportunities here. And this team, even in, like, some of the lean years recently, we've, we've had the, uh, we've had a couple of those wins during the years. So, it's, it's definitely not like we should pencil in 0 3. Yeah, yeah, I completely no, I, I completely agree there. I think you know, looking at this stretch here, like I, I kind of said before the season even started, like we're probably winning one of those games. I mean, that was even before like in, included the NC State game in there. I'm, I'm, I said the other day in the article that was up on the blog that three and four was the most likely. I think four and three is possible. Um, obviously, anything's possible technically, but I think probable. If you're looking at probability, you're looking at somewhere between two and four wins in this in this final seven-game stretch. Um, I would say right now, I think the Louisville dropping the game to Duke makes me far less confident in SU being able to pick them off now um, just because I think that's going to be a team that's a little more motivated than maybe they were. They maybe slut-walked in that second half. I mean, obviously Duke's just super talented too, but I don't think you're going to take them by surprise at any other you know, point in this regular season. So I'll honestly chuck that one up to a loss at this point. That said, if Syracuse loses to NC State, I could see it as a win. So give me a win against one of NC State or Louisville, losses to Duke and North Carolina, a win at Wake, a loss to Virginia, and a win at Clemson. Uh, that'll give us somewhere between seven and eight road wins. Um, 
and that'll give us again a three and four finish for the season. So that'll be eleven and seven uh, in conference, and that'll be twenty and eleven overall. Which I, I mean, not exactly what we thought we were getting into at the beginning of the season, but considering how the season started um, and how non-conference play went, I'll, I'll definitely take it. Yeah, I'm actually, I pulled up just as I'm, I was already on ESPN for the box store of this team. Um, yeah, I'm looking at ESPN's uh, basketball power index projections, and they are not quite as rosy, although it's, no. really, but it's like one game um, that swings it. Um, they have us finishing 10-8 and eight by rounding. They have us finished, finishing 7th behind Florida State, um, ahead of Clemson. Um, th- thanks in large part because of our number one remaining strength of schedule in the country. Yep. So thank you, <laughs> ACC. <laughs> I mean, that's fine. I feel like we're kind of used to it in the Big East, too. Um, yeah. But, yeah, nonetheless, like, I, I think 7, seven I'd be bummed because that 7-10 game is always such a bear, and I feel like I was looking at the numbers last year, and, like, the 10 seed wins, like, more often than not since the yeah, since right the now team expansion. Yeah, right now they have Miami as a 10. I mean, I'm a little more high on that then. Yeah, just as Miami's been, like, they've been hit so hard by stuff this year. The Hernandez NCAA nonsense. Right. And, uh, Knowing our luck that we end up facing Pitt. Yeah, they have Pitt in the 14 game. 14 versus uh, the 14 spot. This is just for BPI. So, and they, uh, for some reason, ESPN, I feel like it's been like pretty high on us this year in terms of like the win probability things. So um, it's definitely like a bit of a course correction. Um, but still, like, they have us finishing 19 and 11, and, or 19 and 12, and uh, 10 and, and 8. So um, overall, I think... You know, if we do finish ten and eight, then I think we probably have to win one, at least one game in the ACC tournament to feel like pretty good about it. Yeah. But it's still hard to tell with, you know, how how weak and how you know across the board the the bubble every year now is just so hard to uh, to really have a good good grasp on. Yeah, it's tough to gauge because obviously they include you know nonsense numbers and everything else to like further complicate matters. I at, at ten and eight, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. At eleven and seven, I'm I'm pretty much sold on it. Eleven seven feels like, would feel like we've been robbed if we didn't get in. Ten and eight, you could make an argument we should be in, but you can understand like yeah. it'll be harder to defend. Eleven and seven, I, I can't imagine a world in which we're not in, given some of you know what we've done and, and finishing eleven and seven in the ACC in general is just like you know it's an accomplishment for a team that's that's you know has some issues and isn't isn't great overall like you, you still to win 11 games in this conference means you're doing something right even if it's duke and and just kind of getting things done otherwise yeah and admittedly like you know getting to 10 and 8 or 11 and 7 means you're picking up probably two more wins on the road and you get to 11 and 7 you're definitely picking up um you know another quality win potentially on the road as well depending on if you can beat nc state or unc maybe like i'm not, I'm not banking on it but uh you know, you look at the top of the conference here, though, like Virginia Tech hasn't looked as great. Louisville, I think, is going to bounce back just fine. FSU has really hit their stride, I think, lately. Um, and Clemson has, too. Uh, you know, both of those teams, you know, Clemson's won four straight. We'll see what happens tonight. Uh, Florida State's won five straight coming in. Uh, NC State struggled a little bit lately. Like, there, there is also, like, a clear kind of drop-off after the nine spot. Where you go from NC State currently five and six to Notre Dame three and eight, so I think that that I don't think we can fall past the nine line, but I would much rather, I'd much rather be in that, really the six or seven range to be honest, because then we get to avoid you know Duke until maybe a couple rounds in if we can get that far. Yeah, it would. I would much rather not face Duke again, um, because we'll get him in the dome and and. Odds are Duke will uh, really be up for that game. Um, I think we're gonna lose by twenty. I'm like, yeah, I, there's a good chance. Like, it's it's so tough. To, I mean, the odds of you beating that team twice are very low. The odds of, of you beating the team once and then being like super competitive, I think, are also very low. Especially uh, when they're actually healthy this time. Yes, um, I'm interested to see what the line for that game ends up being. Um, and I will say, like, you know, people just there is something to be said about the injuries they had, but I still think if we were to rematch at Cameron and you just could. Trey Jones and Cam Reddish off of the Duke roster for that game, I think Duke would probably still be like an 8-10 to 10 point favorite. So it's not like it wasn't an accomplishment to win that game. It's just going to be very daunting, especially because Reddish has really rounded into form recently. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I, I think that, I think, again, they're, with everybody healthy, even if you lose one of those guys again for some reason, as, 
as long as it's not Zion, um, I, I think Duke goes in there, wins by double digits, and and that's that that's no embarrassing fact for for Syracuse either. I mean, very few teams have really tested um, Duke at full strength this year, so again, not not going to sweat a loss there. Assuming we can pick up, you know, uh, an, another quality win here somewhere, but. Shifting from whether we make the tournament to if we make the tournament, what would we be doing there? Um, talking a little bracketology, Dan. I know uh, today, Wednesday, I, uh, I know I ran down the uh, kind of the the full list of places that we would be seated uh, around the internet. Uh, we have everything from a seven seed, NCAA.com. Andy Katz has us as a seven seed in the East, playing Alabama. USA Today also has us as a seven seed. Uh, in the east facing Oklahoma um, all the way down to uh, an 11 seed um, teamrankings.com has us as an 11 seed and we'd probably be in a playing game uh, Bleacher Report, Fox Sports, and Sports Illustrated also have us as 10 seeds um, so people are starting to you're seeing like some publications are completely losing faith far too early and others are probably keeping maybe a little too much faith in the resume right now. Dan where would you seat us if, uh, if you had to see us today? I feel like we're probably an eight or nine. Um, seven seems pretty bullish, and then eleven. Like at this point, I think it's really interesting to see that much of a range in our seedings. Yeah. And obviously, like there's plenty of, to to do of work to do in terms of what the resume will look like. But like usually, most people are like in the same line or two. Uh, so to have like a pretty big like four line gap where there's plenty of uh, people with us at like a number of different seedings is, is pretty unique. I think this late in the game. It speaks to I think it speaks to the stupid bubble, and on top of that, like I think it depends on who's researching what in terms of our resume and everything. Like if you if you see like if you're somebody who hasn't really followed Syracuse, sees the Oregon and UConn losses, sees the ODU loss, uh, maybe sees the Georgia Tech loss, and doesn't really care about where the wins come, and, and and is giving Duke too much credit, I can see how you'd knock us down to eleven. Team rankings is actually based on like is is much more like advanced metrics kind of driven though but yeah i think the tens some of that's probably geared toward okay like you know not really caring about the frank howard absence not really caring about the duke win as much because of the injuries at the same time like i i agree with you i think it's it's a large range but i think it also speaks to you know just how how probably deep this this bubble is where i think the bubble probably starts around the seven line or maybe the eight line and then goes all the way down from there. When usually bubbles like maybe the last one or two nine seeds, um, at, at absolute most, you know, through that uh, through that eleven maybe twelve line. Yeah, it's also it's probably not that different than what the NCAA selection committee is like. And I'm pretty sure like when you, when you hear every year them changing, you know, when whenever they talk about the bubble teams, they seem to have different uh, reasons for why teams got in or did not out and. I think the easiest explanation is that they put the teams in and they figure out the explanation for it later. So, yeah, I mean, I think it, it just kind of shows what a, a imprecise uh, science it is in general. Agreed, agreed. Um, why don't we do just a little bit on the SB Nation um, bracket here, just to do a little bit of bracketology. Um, as mentioned before, since there is a full basketball show now, we, we don't really have to be all that... Uh, that that that's scared of talking about football on this show anymore um so we're gonna do that in, in because we, we so we were so afraid of it before i know right but now i honestly i don't care like i cared about the complaints to some extent before now i now i don't um because there's an entire show again for you the the, the basketball only fan um so looking at yes, uh and it's very geared towards those people <laughs> so um like you guys should definitely listen to it it's very detailed uh, definitely gives a really good run on the team. So uh, those guys are doing a really nice job so far. Yeah, for those who don't listen to Bobby and Dylan on uh, unpeeling Syracuse basketball, um, that usually goes up around Monday, Tuesday. Ours goes up later in the week. Um, so yeah, definitely listen to them because uh, both of them usually have some really great insights on the site, on Twitter. Um, I know Dylan's done a lot of his gift breakdowns, things like that. So definitely listen to that show uh, for the most in-depth um, basketball talk. Um, from the blog, but looking at this bracket, Dan, I'm going to say, okay, so the East bracket, Duke is the one seed. I think there's a lot of, and I said this to Chris uh, DeBerdian, who uh, who makes the brackets for SB Nation on Twitter, and he agreed with me, 
Like, it could be a lot of chalk in round one, but could be a hell of a lot of chaos in round two in all these. I think Buffalo could beat Duke, but I'm going to pick Duke because I think the Bulls have been struggling a little bit. Um, they knocked all the way down to an eight seed at this point. Still, I'll take Duke coming out of the top half of the East. Um, I think they can get by Iowa State. Um, and then in the bottom half, give me Marquette because I feel like they're the only team in that group uh, that I'm really like any sort of confident in at this point. Yeah, I'm taking Duke as well. I, I think just after last night, like it's hard to really, um, it's hard to really question them. I, they're, they're they're not like going to run through the tournament necessarily. I, you know, I'm not going to take Duke over the field or anything crazy. Um, they're very young. We've seen young teams, talented teams like this, flame out before. But on paper, it's just hard to deny what they what they've done. Um, there's a path to beating them, but it's not a very easy one for most teams. <laughs> Nobody um, in this bracket. Yeah, and no one in this bracket, especially with the way Michigan has fallen off. Um, they looked so so good early in the year and so confident and so veteran, and they just have not looked great for about a month now. So, like, they haven't lost that many games. It's just, like, there's, the shine is definitely off of them a bit. Um, they I'm lost to Penn State. And they just lost to Penn State. Uh, the best the best possible night to lose to Penn State, though. Yeah, To be true. fair. <laughs> like, no one talked about that game. I'm going to go Aldo ACC home or Aldo Duke-Florida State. I, I think Florida State... Um, has maybe under I wouldn't say underachieved they're just like not quite maybe what uh, what people thought coming into the year but uh, I think they they have a lot of talent we saw it with our game like they ran away from us and I think think we're a bad team I think there there is some talent there uh, so I will I will take Duke over FSU I don't think they have they played that this year uh, I don't believe so so we'll we'll do it I mean we'll see them. Or we have seen them. I don't believe they've played this year. Oh, they, the they did play this year. And did they? Ends up the Duke, oh, it's close. Yeah, Duke won by two. Now I remember that game. Okay, so we might see. I don't know if they had to play again, but um, yeah, so that was a close one. Obviously, Duke has gotten better, I think, as over the course of the year, as young teams are wont to do. They do not play again in the regular season, maybe in the ACC tournament. But either way, I think Florida State has a lot of potential. I think, um, obviously, there isn't a great tournament uh, hist- uh, history of of playing uh, above their seed in the tournament all the time. Um, but I'm also just not enthralled by Marquette or Cincinnati or uh, Iowa State. LSU, I think, is actually pretty good, but they're not going to beat Duke. So, yeah, I'll take uh, Blue Devils over Seminoles. I'll take Blue Devils over Marquette. Um, heading to Chris's West, uh, we got the Zags as the one seed. I'm going to take Louisville out of the top half here as the four um, and then in the bottom half, uh, I'm going to take Washington. I, I, I think I, Hop I'm gets it done. About it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Michigan State, Washington. Thank you, Chris. Thank yeah, you for this. this. This was good. Give me, yeah, give me honestly, like, I, I think a Louisville and, uh, and Washington Elite Eight would be a lot of fun. I keep picking all ACC teams or close to it every week. Um, I'm going to do it here too, though, probably. Give me, uh, give me Louisville over Washington. Um, I think Hop can get a lot done here. I just think, like, you know, maybe, I mean, he's been involved in a lot of tournaments, but I think with this team and, and, and his staff, maybe the lack of NCAA tournament experience, unfortunately, just kind of derails him at the end um, uh, against a really good Louisville team. Yeah, uh, it's, again, like, I don't want to, I'm not going to say Louisville wasn't a fold after last night's game, but it, it, you know, it does color things a little bit. I'm just concerned about Gonzaga's long-term health. Um, I think the Tilly and Tilly injury, if that lingers into the tournament, it's going to be rough. And I know they played really well without him, but I'm not buying too much on the West Coast Conference teams. And they were without him against Duke earlier in the year, but still, like, you, you want to have your best players out there. Um, and that just, you know, he's going to be out for a while, and he hasn't played great when he's been in recovering between injuries. Um... I'm not buying Villanova still. I know that's dumb. They're, they're like, really... I mean, they're a great program. I just don't think this team is great. I think they're probably... They're rebuilding. Uh, so I'll go Louisville as well. Um, I'm gonna go, I'll stick to safe and, and go Michigan State. Um, I just think Washington's probably a year away from, from beating that team in the tournament. But it wouldn't shock me if Washington gave them fits. Granted, uh, because of Izzo's uh, recent history against his own... Um, I think Kansas is just a train wreck right now. They're, they're, there's a very good chance they won't be a three seed at this time, uh, tournament time. Yeah. I kind of don't. I mean, I don't kind of think. I, I feel pretty confident they're not coming to the Big Twelve, which is crazy. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna go. I'll go. Uh, I'll go Louisville over Michigan State. All right. Yeah, I almost. If I wouldn't go Washington, I'd probably go Iowa. 
down there. Yeah, I think Iowa's been playing pretty well as of late. Um, I don't think they're super talented, but I think their team's pretty well built. Um, yeah. So I can see them make I, mean, I think it took them last week to do the Elite Eight. So um, I've definitely thought about that. I think Michigan State's just a little little too talented. Fair. And they also blew out Iowa earlier this year. Not that it means everything. That's true, actually. Um, all right, a quick break here for a word from our sponsor. Um, and then we'll get back to the second half of the bracket, some halftime, and then football. All right, uh, now looking at the South bracket here, um, we have Tennessee as the one seed, Syracuse is an eight in this bracket. Um, I could see, I, I don't like the Lipscomb matchup just because they're like a really feisty, you know, mid-major team that could take us by surprise here. Um, I do like a potential matchup against Tennessee, not because of the talent, um, just because of coaching. I'd be tempted. I'm still going to pick Tennessee because I feel like Syracuse just, it's too dependent on, like our shooting can just go so hot and cold as evidenced by the current game going on um, in the backdrop of this episode. In which we have played the weirdest lineup of the year in long stretches and it's getting us back in the game, but we're not going to do this. So yeah. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> moving on. Um, in this top half, um, in this top half, give me Tennessee. Um, I could definitely be coaxed into Nevada. Um, and in the bottom half here, I could potentially go UNC, but give me Purdue. So admittedly, I did until I pulled up Chris's bracket, I did not know Lipscomb was as good as they are. Um, and yeah, I agree. Like anytime you have a uh, mid-major uh, or low-major uh, as a nine seed, that scares me. Um, that being said, last I looked, they were getting blown out by Liberty. So maybe yeah. that helps. Uh, th- thanks, Liberty. Good friends, always. <laughs> we, we never trash you on this podcast all the time. Um, so hopefully we don't have to deal with that. They are scary. They shoot 37 percent from three. They have a lot of stores, et cetera. Um, that's like they, they profile like a, a good mid-major. So I wouldn't love that. Um, Tennessee also. Tennessee's really good. Um, I wouldn't want to face them as a one seed. I, I've been pretty in on them for most of the year. Grant Williams and uh, Admiral Stofield are uh, among, if not the best duo, uh, this side of R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson. Um, and they have the whole like senior thing going on. Uh, Rick Barnes not generally known for his NCAA <laughs> tournament uh, success, um, I would say, but uh, still not a group I would want to face. Um, I'll take Tennessee uh, out of the top. Um, in the bottom, uh, Purdue, I just feel like they haven't quite played up. Um, I'm going to go Vatek. I'm, I'm, I'm used to doing the ACC thing this week. Obviously, I could do UNC, but I, I feel like they're just not quite there. They're, they're, I, I just don't have a, a great feeling for them as like a two seed, although I do think like we've talked about in the last couple weeks, like, it feels like the twos are kind of weak for twos this year. Yeah. Um, Vatek, I just think they they have they, their defense can be so good and their shooting ability can be so good. That's uh, a pretty. It's not always obviously. But that's a pretty dangerous combo. Yeah, I I would have to agree. I'm gonna take Tennessee out of this group. Um, Dan, who do you got? You think the Vols can do it? Yeah, I'll take the Vols. Um, I think the Vols. If you just like, if you just put the, like a, a a different coaching name there, I think yeah. we'd all feel a lot better about them. I, I would completely agree. In March, um, but like it's not, that's not to take credit away from what Barnes has done this year, um, and pretty quickly turning Tennessee into like a really solid program um, that he inherited that was in a, a pretty rough place and with a lot of turnover. So, um, yeah, I'm taking Tennessee. Looking at the Midwest last, uh, UVA is the one seed here. Um, I'll take the Who's to get to the Elite Eight. Um, I think they will get to avoid Wisconsin, uh, an, an old foe of theirs. Um, and I think that Kansas State will actually get through that Sweet 16 against them. Um, on the other side of the bracket, give me Kentucky, and I'll take Kentucky over Virginia in the Elite Eight. Yeah, I'm going to go the same thing. Um, I just don't love the top half of this bracket. I think UVA has some issues, um, though they're, they're less pronounced when they're not playing Duke. Um, but they're still, you know, I don't think they're, they're a shoe-in to, like, finally make a run here. Um, I think Kentucky's more talented. I think Kentucky's coming along. Obviously, the dude, the loss to LSU the other night is rough, um, but it was also you know pretty controversial. Uh, and it's not so good a team that you're they're going to go undefeated in SEC play. Um, so yeah, I'll take Kentucky over Virginia in a really really tight one, uh, really tight, ugly, low scoring one. And I've been high on Kentucky for a couple weeks, so I'm going to stay consistent with that. With a even with the two point loss to LSU. Fair. So that gives us the all ACC uh, and uh, SEC. 
Final Four, which is weird and probably unprecedented. Yeah, so I, I, I have Duke, FSU, Louisville, Michigan State. Well, Michigan, I have Michigan State in there. Tennessee, VaTech. Yeah, that's very strange. Virginia, Kentucky, this is all weird. Yeah, for me, yeah, looking at that, my final four was, yeah, I had Duke at it. I had Duke as the one, had Louisville as the four. I got Tennessee. Yeah, so it would be Duke-Louisville as like an ACC playing game on one side of the bracket, and Tennessee-Kentucky on the other side. I think you end up with Duke and Kentucky, which everyone would hate, except for Duke and Kentucky fans. Everyone would hate it. It would get a really, really good TV rating. Oh, it totally would. <laughs> it would get a really, really, really good rating. Um, so, yeah, I, I, not everyone. CBS CBS uh, people would be very happy. They would. Uh, so so I, I would pick – I'd pick Duke to win that game, to be honest, but, but, but what about you? Yeah, I think I've switched. I think Duke's just been so impressive, and I've been – we've had, like, lots of weeks we've had Kentucky and Duke in the same region. Obviously, it switched this week. Uh, I think I would go Duke, but I do think Kentucky would be far more competitive than they were earlier in the year. Yeah, I agree with that. Cool. So that was Bracketology, and now we move on to halftime. Uh, Dan, what have you been drinking? So I've had a, a nice bit of things. I was in North Carolina for the weekend, um, so I had to check out a couple a couple things from there. Um, I had a La Pesha Mode uh, from D9 Brewing, which is in Cornelius, North Carolina. I don't know where that is. Um Apparently, I've had three things from them, uh, which, uh, as you can imagine, uh, was a uh, peach sour, um, really nice, like kind of delicate uh, peach flavor, um, but a really pretty well balanced uh, beer overall. Uh, I had we stopped on the way back from uh, the Appalachians uh, to Wooden Robot Brewing in Charlotte, um, which I had not heard of before. I don't think uh, I definitely hadn't had anything from from them before. Um, we were only there for a little while before a flight, but I uh, had a couple things from them, um, which were both impressive. And also the, the space there is really, really cool. Um, if I was in Charlotte more, I would definitely consider that a cool place to hang out in terms of, like, really nice brew pub, um, good food. Um, and the What He's Having IPA, which is a rock-solid, uh, you know, pretty standard IPA. Um, and then I also have the, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, the Rosacen uh, Hibiscus Farmhouse Ale. Um, which was a uh, pretty, like, nice, uh, rosy color. Um, didn't get, like, so, super hibiscus uh, flavor, nor did I really get uh, rosé flavor. I'm not sure if that's what they were going for, but it is in the name. Um, but overall, just a, a pretty solid saison. And then I had uh, a Rothhaus Pils um, after I got back from uh, a German brewery, which I'm not going to attempt to pronounce, um, <laughs> which was really, really good. I'm not a, always a huge Pilsner drinker, but this was really refreshing. Didn't have that, like, kind of, like, inherent stunkiness that some Pilsners have. I know good ones don't, but, like, sometimes I get that flavor from beers that people like. Um, and then I also had a Mardi Gras Bach from Abita. Um, I mostly ordered it because I remembered the Tulane basketball jerseys, <laughs> um, which I had to bring up. If, if, they, are, they are they are majestic. They are some of the best basketball jerseys I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> they're incredible. And it's it's crazy because Tulane basketball is probably less of a thing than Tulane football. And yet they continue to kill it on these like branding and uh, uniform-based things. Um, See, so yeah, I saw that. And then I saw Abita was uh, on tap for the month uh, at one of my local bars. And I hadn't had the Mardi Gras Bach. And I needed to have the Mardi Gras Bach uh, considering the jerseys. Uh, so I did, and really, really nice Bach, uh, really drinkable, nice kind of full-bodied uh, brown flavor. Um, so really enjoy that. And Abita's always rock solid. Like, I think everything from them is pretty good overall, so uh, not too surprising there, but enjoyed that. Nice. Yeah, uh, Tulane, if you're listening, and you might be, um, please make T-shirts of the uh, Mardi Gras Angry Wave because he's dope. Yes. Like, really need tees. The fact that the jerseys aren't on sale regularly is a crime. Um, but, yeah, I, uh, I I very much need that piece of merchandise ASAP. <laughs> uh, <laughs> need is kind of a strong word, but whatever. Um, I was up in San Francisco for SF Beer Week uh, this past Saturday, uh, so ran through a bunch of stuff. Uh, <laughs> probably did irreparable harm to my liver. Um had uh, from Modern Times at Elemental Magic with Dragon Fruit, Guava, uh, Tangerine, Passion Fruit. 
It was a super, super good uh, sour. It was only about 5.5%. Uh, Modern Times, their Polyrhythmo uh, Pilsner was absolutely excellent. I hope that it becomes like a regularly canned thing from them. Um, also had their uh, Ponderous Climate uh, Coffee Porter. Uh, then went over to um, Tornado and had uh, a bunch of Russian River uh, sours at uh, Beatification uh, from all the way back in 2013. Uh, great to get that one with some age on it. Uh, Compunction 2015, um, Intiction, a wild ale, um, and then Propitation, uh, kind of a darker uh, wild ale from them as well. Also had uh, Firestone Walker's uh, Mind Haze. Hadn't, uh, hadn't checked that one out yet, um, but you can find that uh, usually at a lot of like big box stores and stuff like that. Uh, if you get regular Firestone uh, distro, went over to McKellar Bar, um, had a Gigantic's Kolschtastic, also had a uh, Logsden uh, farmhouse sales from uh, up in Oregon. They're uh, far west Lamming. And then I had Four Point uh, Mosaic Park. They're uh, pale ale. So, yeah, a bunch of different things. Was, uh, was glad I remembered it all. Was glad I got back on the plane that night. But uh, fun times. Did you just, did you, uh, this is completely unrelated to anything, um, but I just saw it. You see that uh, Jim Levitt's apparently leaving Oregon? Well, that's not good for Oregon. Also very predictable, considering how the new kind of timetable works. Yeah, but it doesn't even seem like, like a post-signing day thing. I think it came out of nowhere, based on kind of the reaction to it. That's, that's very surprising. Like, usually, like, the beat writers have, like, an idea of yeah. who's leaving. Um, but, like, this seems like it just kind of dropped, so I don't know what's going on there. That's super weird. Um... That's not great for Oregon, a team that was just kind of starting to figure things out on defense again. Um, Oregon also had like a top 20 recruiting class for maybe the first time ever. Um, so color me confused. Yeah, and he's probably the most important assistant on that team. The fact that they were able to uh, hold on to him through the the coaching transition is not... Uh, I think they held on to him, right? He was already yeah. there when, yeah, when Taggart was there. So, yeah, not great. Um, I do wonder, because, like, obviously Levitt has some skeletons in his closet in terms of uh, what happened uh, with his ouster at USF, but he had started to, like, break through to the, the point where people thought he might get another head coaching job. Obviously, Kansas State was, like, the school that people thought, um, and he didn't get that job, but uh, it will be interesting to see what the, what the reasoning is there, and if it was just, like, maybe he got another offer or something, NFL offer. Yeah. Hopefully it's that and not anything scandalous, because, like, you know, well... Well, we all enjoy, like, the crazy stories, like, stuff that's not good, like, generally is great for the sport, and I think we're all kind of tired of, of scandal in college football. I would agree. Uh, speaking of college football, we, uh, we close out with a kind of brief, um, we have a special interview after this uh, that everyone will hear with uh, Bayheim's Army GM, Kevin Belby, um, so stay tuned for that. But before that, we're going to talk a little bit of football. Um, my... Uh, Annual spring preview stuff starts this week. It'll continue on through the rest of the offseason, so you'll get at least one or two football articles a week. Um, looking at the depth chart, Dan, this is just a projected depth chart, not one that anyone actually published anywhere. Um, any surprises for you? Um, and if so, call them out, because obviously this is a, uh, an audible medium. Uh, no, I don't think there's any, like, huge surprises there. Um, I think we, you know, you could... You could probably call Moniel and Abdul Adams co-starters based oh, yeah. on how they're using the bowl game, which is always a taste for, like, still position guys. Um, I think the wide receivers are pretty, like, the top four guys, I think, are pretty well established as the top four guys, um, especially considering Tristan Jackson's impact in the bowl game. But, like, Harris, Riley, and Johnson were, like, the guys by the end of the year. Um, and I think we're all excited to see them moving forward. Um, offensive line, I think, is, is where we might see some different things if we are able to land, like, a a grad transfer to uh, I know we're in on a couple um, and then looking on defense luckily we return like a pretty good amount in terms of defensive line and our defensive backs are young but but experience I think we we kind of know um, the guy trill slides into the starting role but he had such a big role last year it's not a huge surprise linebacker is going to be the the spot like we were there are a lot of questions as has been the case the last couple of years after a long time where it seemed like we always had experienced linebackers um, but overall, I think I think none of this is, is overly surprising, and and we, you know, kind of know the team we have going forward, which is fun for for once. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's still probably a few surprises coming up. Like Babers mentioned that they were still going after uh, some different players. Right now, there's technically 84 scholarships, but there's two that are kind of hanging around limbo. Um, we still don't know if Antoine Cordy's coming back. Um, that would be 85 scholarships. And then we don't know if Shai Cullen will be able to requalify and come back for the fall semester. That would be 86. So somebody's leaving, <laughs> uh, whether it's one of those two players or somebody else. Um, Odds are someone's leaving either way, just because there's there's almost always like, I and mean, we've talked about this before on the show, like there are spots where transfers happen, and it's like right after the season, um, after signing day, uh, obviously it's changed a little bit with the new recruiting cycle. Um, and then after spring ball is another, it's probably the next big one. Right. So odds are someone will not be thrilled with their role or just kind of, you know, maybe they give up the sport, which happens uh, probably more frequently now than it did before, or they're just kind of like, you know, ready to go elsewhere. So um, I think their odds are we'll have like a, maybe one or two transfers after spring ball or during spring ball. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt that. Um, one place there probably won't be any transfers is in the linebacker position, though. Um, I know you mentioned, like, typically we have experience there. Um, as much as I'm, like, a little wary right now, um, right now I have the starters as Tyrell Richards, uh, who got a lot of run last year as kind of a flex linebacker, uh, defensive end, just an edge rusher guy. Um, Andrew Armstrong was kind of in and out of the starting lineup. Um, and then Karim Trotter, um, who hasn't got a ton of burn, but has some, like, are the current starters. But I think there's um, potential for a guy like Joaquin Williams, who uh, struggled with some injuries last year after transferring as a Juco guy. Um, and then uh, Mikel Jones and uh, Lee Pogba, both of them are true freshmen, but uh, early enrollees, guys who really could challenge for starting roles um, early on. I... Uh, I think this could remind people a lot of, you know, like Zaire Franklin's first year where we were like Cam Lynch had left. There was a lot of like just kind of questions around like, all right, we have like no experience. And then, you know, him and Jonathan Thomas and uh, Paris Bennett like kind of plugged right in and then ended up being three years of of pretty consistently just starting every game and uh, and racking up hundred tackles. So and, and before, you know, before that, you know, Cam Lynch did the same thing and and. I feel like our linebackers somehow have been able to really not just cycle well, but cycle well in like three to four year stints too, where we're able to bring up the next group underneath like the, the, the wing of, of a really successful senior class. Yeah. I think that's been up until this past year, really. And this year, I think our linebackers played pretty well. I think yeah, second half of the um, year, Guthrie, cause Guthrie ended up being one of the, I think Guthrie, linebackers in the ACC. Yeah. He was, I think the leading line uh, tackler. If not, if he wasn't, it was pretty close. And then yeah, him and so Whitner both had 100 tackles on the year. Whitner played really well moving into that spot. Um, and like you said, like we've we've pretty it, since basically when Marone got here and he even before I think Darrell Smith and Doug Hogue and a couple of those kind of guys. Yeah. we've really rolled through and had really veteran linebacker play almost throughout. Um, the Zaire Franklin cop uh, is pretty interesting. I, don't, I mean, it, it's time will tell who it is. But Michael Jones, is it Michael or Mikel? I'm not sure the pronunciation. I've um, never, I've never heard the pronunciation, so I'm gonna go with Michael, and we're just gonna think it's close. We'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure it out. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the, the, the pronunciation guide in the in the spring prospectus. So, yes. So Jones and Padba um, are probably our. I think they're basically our two top ranked recruits, just yeah. like per any service. Um, and I figure at least one of them will, will be ready to step in in some role. If it's not starter, then it's key reserve. And as we saw last year, um, we're not afraid, A, to plug in freshmen in de- on defense in big roles. We saw that with Sisto and Trill Williams last year. Sisto, who was an All-American, and Trill Williams, who um, obviously, you know, he was, was not perfect, but had, had a really, really strong freshman year as a cornerback, um, as our, our third cornerback, basically. Um, and a linebacker, we saw guys emerge um, who we, you know, we really didn't know last year who the who the guys were. You had Whitner um, moving positions. You had Guthrie, who really hadn't played much, um, and they ended up being highly productive. So uh, we're we're not afraid to take chances on guys, young guys. We're not afraid to to let people just win the job outright, even if it doesn't seem like the guy who will win the job outright. You know, going in, there aren't like preconceived notions really. Um, and also, I'd rather have, honestly, like, it's great to have experienced linebackers, and we've done well with them, but I'd rather, if I had to choose, I'd rather have experience in the secondary and up front. I think you could hide linebackers a little bit easier. Yeah, I completely agree there. I think, you know, that was that was kind of the case for the first half of this past season when the linebackers were struggling, was that you had, you had a very um, kind of 
high risk, high reward, secondary style of play. You had a, a, a blitz heavy defensive line that was getting a lot of great push, especially from the outside. So I think this year that, that as long as everybody, as long as there are no other changes that we're unaware of, um, I think the secondary is going to be top half of the ACC. I think this defensive line is going to be one of the better lines in the ACC, assuming Josh Black can kind of step in and fill in uh, the sort of role that Chris Slayton occupied. Like this could be a really fun group once again, and yeah, I, I think I think I saw enough from Richards that I'm really uh, high on him uh, from last year. I think Andrew Armstrong um, showed that he can be a capable middle linebacker. I think you know that uh, that strong side linebacker position that could be uh, inhabited by Kadim Trotter, but maybe somebody else um, is going to be the bigger question mark. But you know, p- plenty more time to discuss all this, and we'll actually have some like practice tape, maybe not, not a ton, but some um from the spring to see like some of these guys in action too we haven't really uh seen in game yeah it'll be nice to, to kind of start to do those uh get a better idea of who's going to be on this depth, like the official depth chart once we get to to spring ball and i feel like there's always that's when there's always like a surprise or two even like right off the bat um because obviously dino sees these guys in the offseason he sees guys who work and he has a a much better idea than we do and you know make our educated guesses based on last year and based on recruiting stuff um, and I think overall, like even on defense, where we struggled for two years before we really, really came along this season, um, the moves have worked out pretty well overall. Um, and I think we've had a really nice approach, uh, especially in like around midseason when when things started to turn around there. Um, so yeah, it'll be fun, and it'll be fun on offense. I think we we are all excited. Yeah, uh, I'm 100% on board with that. Um, all right, a quick word from another sponsor here. Um, and then we will wrap up and uh, and get to that interview. All right, Dan. So obviously we don't know what's going to happen in the NC State Syracuse game yet. Um, but uh, let's just cross our fingers. Any other thoughts before we uh, before we sign off here? Uh, no, I I look forward to finding out what happens in the NC State Syracuse game uh, because again we got back in this game using a. Basically, we just unloaded the bench, and it worked. Um, we're so yeah. Uh, I think we've played pretty well over the last couple minutes uh, into the half. Um, this would be a really, really nice win. Obviously, NC State isn't like the the ranked team they were earlier in the year, but uh, it is another another road game, and it's a probable tournament team. So this uh, is a another really nice opportunity, and we've hopefully the. We've had pretty mixed results in the the game night uh, podcast, so hopefully this this one's for the better. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very much hoping this one works out uh, just for, from a wins perspective. I, I, I have confidence in the content. It's the, it, it's the win that we're looking for here. Um, but yeah, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcasts. Syracuse Sports Make Me Drink. Uh, you can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. We have some obviously new things going on with the podcast here so we are no longer on blog talk uh we're on some other service and we'll be hopefully in every uh i you know podcast store that you're you know looking to download stuff from and uh stay tuned for my interview again with uh Bayheim's army gm kevin belby yes and go orange go orange And special to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast this week, we have a very, very important guest. Um, you've heard all about Beheim's Army these last few years, and we get to talk to one of the men behind the team, uh, Kevin Belby. How's it going? It's going a lot better now that I had that fabulous introduction. I appreciate that, John. Do what I can. For those who have not been paying attention <laughs> of late, uh, Kevin's been the general manager of Beheim's Army, and like I said, been, a, been one of the main... Uh, people in terms of orchestrating this thing and turning it into what it is. So uh, getting right down to business, Kevin, uh, how excited are you to have this team uh, host a few games um, in the Syracuse area? I, I really couldn't be more excited. It's uh, It's been a long time coming, and um, you know this is going to be our fifth year somehow, crazy enough, already participating in the basketball tournament. And we've played all over the place. We've played up and down the East Coast and Brooklyn and Philly and Baltimore, Atlanta, played all the way out in Chicago. And in every one of those cities, every year, you know, ever since our first game, we've had the best crowds, we've had the best fan base. Um, so I'm just glad that we're going to be able to, to go up to Syracuse and, you know, show some of those fans, a lot of those fans who maybe couldn't make the road trips, 
what this is like in person and obviously we're going to have a huge competitive competitive advantage from it as well um you know you mentioned the word home game that's really what it is it's going to be essentially home games for us and when you're playing for two million dollars you're going to take any advantage you can get (laughs) it's true it's true uh so do you think or i mean you might have actually had conversations with the basketball tournament uh do you feel like syracuse's abilities to to draw these crowds no matter where they were uh were were part of why uh they went to sort of this quote-unquote on-campus type environment and also because and also why syracuse was included in that group yeah i think that the fan base is certainly the, the biggest driving factor of why the games will be up there. Um, in addition to a bunch of different factors, including that we've always had incredibly competitive teams. Um, you know, Syracuse as a city, I think is well, well geared to host a tournament like this. Um, you know, I, I talked to the tournament organizers for the last couple of years, kind of pitching them, on this idea and I was like look if, if Syracuse is a good enough city to have an NCAA tournament regional site it certainly can have a, a basketball the basketball <laughs> tournament regional site there and you know just talked about the state fair and how you know the entire state of New York has their fair up in Syracuse and you know it's for a reason a uh, bunch of different reasons but there's there's all, all the lodging you need you know 81 is right there there's an airport hotels um that stuff is easy and you know the harder thing probably to find is a fan base that cares about basketball and in syracuse uh, you don't have to look too too hard to find uh, (laughs) a bunch of basketball fans would have to agree especially uh i know some of the podcast detractors will usually have a lot of complaints when we don't talk about the basketball team enough uh you don't necessarily hear the same complaints about football so as much as we might be on our way to being a football school again uh, yeah, I, I would I would definitely agree that men's basketball in particular, uh, you know, kind of rules the conversation. But like Kevin, looking at some of the past uh, seasons that you've been involved, um, have you had a favorite game, uh, one that in particular win or lose, like really stuck out to you, you know, years later or months later, whatever it may be? Yeah, probably a couple different games. I mean, uh, probably our first game ever in Philadelphia, that, that was pretty cool because I just had no idea – what to expect uh you know nobody could have showed up or we could have lost you know or our players could have bailed but um uh, just it's funny i don't know if you've been to one of our games or i'm sure you've at least watched them our games start the exact same way a game starts in the carrier dome everybody's standing and clapping <laughs> you know so it, it that tradition uh it's carried us to different cities and it's just uh ever since that first stand and clap in philadelphia i kind of had the feeling that this was something special and then you know, there was the absolutely amazing game in 2017 in Brooklyn at, at LIU uh, Brooklyn where we were in the uh, the Elite Eight, I believe that was, against Team FOE. And, uh, you know, we, we just had an incredible, incredible comeback. And I, re- I remember we were down by you know, over 20 points and just looking around uh, in the huddle and seeing that, you know, I, I honestly thought we were going to lose because I'm normally a very, very positive person, but um, I was looking at the, the guys' faces, and they just looked they, – they didn't look that, that interested, you know, that, that enthusiastic. And then looking back on it, I realized that, no, they were just calm. They weren't panicking. They weren't blaming each other. When they were down 25 points with 12 minutes left, they still believed in each other. And, uh, you know, somehow we pulled off that miraculous comeback. So, you know, that that's something that uh, – that always it's one of my first memories when I think of our team in the tournament. That's awesome. Uh, is there any team that you, that you either love to play or love to hate to play in the tournament? Yeah. I mean, I think the team, probably the most hated team, it's kind of the golden state warriors equivalent of the basketball <laughs> tournament, which is overseas elite. And, you know, we had a chance to beat them in, in 2017 in the final four. And, um, you know, we, we, we were right there with them. We only lost by a few points and just felt like, a couple balls bounced uh, a different way. We could have beat them. Um, you know, they've, they've won the tournament several years in a row now. So would love to get the chance uh, to beat them. But it, it's always fun to play other college alumni teams because they'll also have, you know, strong fan bases. And, you know, we, we haven't played really any former traditional Syracuse rivals, but there have been Seton Hall alumni teams. Uh, we did play a Marquette alumni team last year. It didn't go too well for us. 
Uh, clearly, I blocked that out of my memory. Uh, <laughs> as as we usually do. when Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, but that was a fun game. And, you know, we'll see what other teams pop up this year. So I, I know that, you know, you probably you're going to have a, a big release cycle and, and, and all that in terms of who's going to be on the team this year. But uh, is there anything you can share now around who might be involved this year, even if you can't confirm for sure? Yeah. Um, I mean, Ryan Blackwell is will definitely be back as our head coach, you know, obviously former Syracuse player. And uh, he's doing a great job up in Syracuse now as Liverpool head coach, you know, he's really turned that program around. He got them, uh, you know, I think they won a state championship last year, weren't undefeated for a long time. Um, and he's been great with our players because uh, they, the guys respect him. You know, as somebody who played at Syracuse, as somebody who is a coach, you know, he's taking this seriously. He wants to be a coach for a living, you know, at the college level or at the pro level. Um, he actually did coach pro overseas. He played in Japan and then coached in Japan. So, you know, he's not just rolling out the ball and letting these guys do his thing. He gets on them. And um, so, anyway, he'll be back. Uh, you know, Eric Evendorf is a guy who's been in the basketball, who's been with me since day one of putting this together. And um, it would be weird not to have him play. Um, we hope that, that he'll be back. And it's really, you know, he can play in this for as long as he wants to. He does have a new coaching gig now out in detroit at ud mercy and so i'm gonna uh, so throw a shoe kinda, last week i did it was a nice <laughs> toss it was a nice toss by him um i felt like he should have gotten rewarded for that instead of punished <laughs> but um you know he, I, I hope he'll be back and then we'll see everybody else it's it's tough you know there's a lot of interest right now but it's still five months out from the games and the one thing about the tournament it's it is a tremendous opportunity two million dollars and exposure to play on espn but there's no guarantee, you know, it's winner take all. So, um, nobody, our guys aren't signing contracts on the dotted line committing to play for us. Um, it's something that we just figure out as we get a little bit closer because these guys that they play nine, 10 months overseas in Israel and Spain and Turkey. Um, and they kind of need to catch their breath, see how their bodies are feeling, see what they're up to over the summer. Um, but you know, I, I think that there'll be, a lot of enthusiasm about playing one because we had a, a great team last year uh, and made it pretty far, and two because we're going to be playing up in Syracuse. And I think these guys are going to be excited to come back to campus and play in front of fans again up in Central New York. Have orange on their chest. It's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, I know. I can't wait, and I'm sure everybody listening too is you know similarly excited. I haven't been able to get to any games just because. Being out in the West Coast, not as easy to get back, but uh, I'm, I'm sure there'll be thousands and thousands of folks, um, you know, in Syracuse for these games. Uh, Kevin, before you go, uh, one more thing about the current Syracuse roster. Uh, yeah. What are you thinking in terms of Syracuse's NCAA tournament chances this year? You feel like they're in it as a large team, or do you feel like this is going to be kind of down to the wire again? I mean, I think at the end of the day, what uh, what I've learned, at least, and I think what Syracuse fans, too, have learned the last couple of years is what matters is who you beat. And, um, you know, I think that that win in Cameron will will be a big factor for them come Selection Sunday. And, you know, at the end of the day, they, they the team controls their own destiny. You look at the schedule, a lot of great opportunities. It's a tough schedule, but a lot of great opportunities left and I think that's actually the word that Tyus Battle used yesterday uh, in an article I saw on Syracuse.com. I think he said, this is about, you know, there's a lot of opportunities we have. I don't really look at it as, you know, a scary schedule or a challenge. Um, so, you know, playing Virginia, playing Duke, playing UNC left, playing Louisville, um, this team really, I think they could be as high as, a you know, a five seed, you know, if, if not a, maybe a four, if, if they win a lot of these big games and then, you know, on the flip side, um, if they don't win them, then it'll be a very uh, nervous selection Sunday again. But I think this team just has to get in and, you know, they, they've proven that they can win the big games, that game down at Duke. Uh, I was really fortunate to be there in person. And, you know, there were literally 20 times where you could have said, well, that's it, you know, um, <laughs> it was a good game but you know now now they're gonna pack it in and it was a good fight and no they never stopped fighting and they kept 
pushing and pushing, and they weren't afraid of playing down at Duke and playing against Zion. And that's the type of attitude you need to win the NCAA tournament. So I just hope they get in and get a good seed and get a good draw. And then I think Coach Bayheim has shown that he and his teams, along with the zone, anything can happen. Yeah, I mean, and this team in particular has played really well uh, in road environments. Obviously, they'd be playing in neutral sites. But yeah, the, the, the road games this year, they've they've looked really good. We'll see what happens against NC State. Uh, they'll have a game against UNC as well on the road. So a, a lot to a lot still left to uh, to do this season. I, I have some faith, but yeah, the, this uh, this four game stretch is probably going to decide it. Exactly, I agree. Couldn't agree more. All right. Well, uh, Kevin, really do appreciate you coming on. It was awesome to talk a little bit about uh, Bayheim's Army, and we're looking forward to this summer. Thanks, man. Really appreciate you having me on. Maybe we can do it again when we get a little bit closer. Uh, should be a blast this summer. The games in Syracuse are going to be July 26th to the 29th at uh, the SRC Arena at OCC. So if you're listening and you're up in uh, central New York, hope to see you there. Perfect. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, John.